Are you ready to take control of your wealth and design the life you envision for yourself and your family? Welcome to Wealth of Insight with Austin Wittenberg from Wittenberg Wealth Partners. Austin guides you through the entire planning process to help you build a plan that seeks to protect your financial future. He empowers you with creative investment opportunities and planning ideas to help you understand and achieve your long-term goals. It's time to gain confidence in your financial future. Now, onto the show. All right, welcome back to the Wealth of Insight podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wittenberg. And today I wanted to take some time to talk about the most common financial mistakes that I see as people are looking at their financial planning and getting started. So we'll talk through, you know, five or six of the most common issues. And and some of these actually relate to what you know, there was some, some surveys done where people said what are their most, their biggest regrets financially. And a lot of there's a lot of crossover between those two. So the first most common mistake I see, and this is especially true of young people just getting started, is, you know, living beyond their means. Now, you know, that's not certainly a new topic, something that really everybody tends to struggle with is this idea of budgeting and just making sure that you're not spending more than you're making. And, you know, as we're working with clients every once in a while, maybe we put clients on a strict budget or they want us to help them get a really detailed budget. But more often than not, it's just more general. Here's what I'm going to live on and here's what I need to save. So we talk about this concept of paying yourself first. What most people do, and this is why this becomes an issue, what most people do is they get their paycheck and then they wait till the end of the month or the end of each two weeks and they decide, I'm after these two weeks, whatever money's left, I'm going to save. The problem with doing it that way is there's never anything left at the end, right? It's really easy to spend money. And so we have this concept, you know, and again, it's not new to us, but this concept of paying yourself first, where when you get paid, you save off the top and then live on the rest. And that's a really good way to start to train your habits, especially again, as I mentioned, for younger clients or people just getting started. A good way to train yourself to build those saving habits. You know, most people think that the returns that you get on your investments really are the most important thing. As long as I'm buying the newest hot thing that's returning me 20% per year, I'm going to be fine. You know, And I guess maybe if you can find something that's returning you 20% a year, that may work. But the reality of it is the most critical factor to building up financial security and getting you on that path of financial independence is your savings rate, not necessarily the rate you're getting on your investment. So there was a study done where they just looked at the average median US household income. So that's income of about 58,000. After taxes is about 49,000. And they just built a little chart showing if you're get earning one, two, three, four, five, six percent on your investments, or you're saving one, two, three, four, five, six percent of your income. What has the most factor? What has the biggest impact over a 30-year period? So if you look at you know this chart and it shows, hey, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna save only three percent of my income, but I'm gonna earn seven percent, then that after 30 years, that leaves me with 139,000. But what if maybe I don't maybe I don't want to invest that aggressively? So I only want to earn 6%, but I choose to save 4%. 
So I'm just saving an additional extra 1% of my income. In this case, that equates to be about $500 a year or you know, just about $40 a month difference. And that leaves me with 155,903. So at the end of those 30 year periods, that 1% increase in your savings rate made a, you know, it was almost a $15,000, $16,000 difference from that 1% increase in your investment rate. So we really want to make sure that clients are increasing that savings rate, not necessarily relying on investment performance because investment performance isn't something you can predict. It's going to go up and down. So if we have this concept of paying ourselves first, we can avoid that number one most common mistake. The other mistake I see with people, and one of people's really their biggest regrets, is not starting early enough. And not, and that also equates to a lot of people not taking advantage of their employer's 401k matching. When I meet with a lot of young clients, they're just out of school, they may have some student loans, they're just getting started maybe with a family, and they feel like, man, I'm so strapped for cash, I don't have any room to save. But their employer is offering a three, five, even a, maybe a 10% 401k match that they're missing out on by not participating at least up to the matching percentage. So when working with clients, we always want to make sure, even if you feel strapped for cash, you know, we work through how can we make this work so that you're at least taking advantage of that 401k match because that's free money. That's a hundred percent return on your money, right? If you put in 3%, your employer may put in 3%. You're doubling the money that you put in. And at least, you know, that may not be enough in the long run to get you all the way to retirement or to financial independence, but it's a good place to start because time is really your biggest asset, right? So we just talked about how your saving, your personal savings rate and how much you personally save has a dramatic impact. Time is that second, maybe most important factor. And, you know, I guess maybe you could really even argue it's the first most important factor is just getting started early. Even if it's small dollar amounts, that time makes a huge difference over time. So Vanguard did a study or they ran the numbers for us on this. They looked at two different scenarios. They looked at um, someone who's going to save $10,000 a year starting at age 25 to age 40. So for 15 years, that person saved $10,000 a year. So over that 15 years, they saved $150,000 versus their friend who didn't start saving at 25. They waited till 35 to start saving their 10,000 a year and they saved for 30 years. So they saved twice as long. They saved a total of $300,000 over those 30 years. And assuming a 6% rate of return, if you started at age 25 and stopped at age 40 and then just let it grow, you'd have over a million dollars, $1,058,912. Now, that other person, the other friend, right, started a little bit later, but they saved twice as much money, but they only have $838,019, even though they've saved 30 years longer. And again, this is assuming a 6% rate of return. And that just shows you the impact of getting started early. That extra decade that that money had to grow starting at age 25 instead of age 35 made a really significant difference over time. And so again, when working with clients, 
it's not, you know, we're not putting them on a super detailed budget unless they ask for it, but it's trying to emphasize these concepts of getting started early. And that's something that just gets them on the right track, even if it's just matching their employer savings rate or whatever it is, but getting something going, get to build the right habits and let time really work. So those are the two most common things I see. The other thing that is becoming a bigger and bigger deal is people who are underinsured on life insurance. Most people, maybe through their employer, they get some life insurance um, and that's you know one or two times their salary, something they know it's in place, it's cheap, and they don't really look beyond that. One of the critical elements to a financial plan is ensuring really that you have the correct amount or at least enough life insurance to make sure you're accomplishing all of your objectives. You know, so there's a few ways you can calculate what's the right amount of insurance for me. A general, you know, sort of used to be, hey, well, let's just say take your income, multiply it by 10, and that's going to be the right income. So if I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, I need a million dollars of insurance and that will that will remain for my family and they will be taken care of. And that's a decent start if you know it's better than having nothing. There's been some sort of tweaks to that, especially with education becoming as popular as it is and knowing that college education is important to a lot of people. You know, you may take that, take your income, multiply it by 10, and then add a hundred thousand dollars per child to try to prepay or set aside enough money to make sure they're able to go to college. I think that's a better start. The last way, and this is the more common thing that we're starting to use, is what they call the DIME method, D-I-M-E. That stands for debt, income, mortgage, and education. So this really incorporates someone's entire financial picture. So you look at your debt, credit card debt, car loans, those types of things. We start there. Then we take your income and I personally feel like tens maybe a little low on the income. So I like to do 15 years of income with term insurance continuing to get cheaper and cheaper. You really can get this insurance coverage for pretty cheap. So you take your debt, then you look at your income, add on your remaining mortgage. So the mortgage can be paid off if that's important to you and then add on the education piece. So we can get really detailed on education. Some people, you know, as I mentioned, they just say, well, it's going to be a hundred thousand dollars for education, depending on how old your kids are, that may or may not be true. So we have some calculators that we use to help clients make a better decision there. And if they think, hey, my kids are going to go to Stanford or Harvard or something like that, well, hey, that then we need to make sure we really bump up how much insurance is there versus, hey, they'll go to the local community college and then to a local state school, then maybe we don't have to adjust it as much, but we can make sure that it's you know, we've got this number dialed in so that if something does happen to you, especially for those that are the primary wage earner, that it's taken care of. But not only for the primary wage earner, even if one of the spouses is a the homemaker, the stay-at-home spouse, one of the biggest issues we see there is there's no life insurance or, again, through most people's employer, they may offer $50,000 for your spouse or something like that. That doesn't value that person enough in our opinion. You know, for me, you know, my wife is fortunate enough to be able to stay at home with kids, but I've got life insurance on her because I know if something happened to her, there's all these things that she does, getting the kids to and from school, cooking, laundry, whatever it may be, that I'm going to have to find either I'm going to have to do myself or I'm going to have to find somebody else to take care of. And so there's really 
you know, I want to make sure that if something happens to her, I've got money to be able to either take some time away from work or pay to find some help in certain areas of our life. So that's, you know, another critical issue. And unfortunately, I've seen this so many times, even just in the, you know, the last 10 years of being in this industry where friends or acquaintances, people that we know have had a spouse die in a tragic, completely unexpected accident with little to no life insurance. And those families just on top of dealing with the pain and the loss of losing a loved one now have to deal with the financial stress of not being able to stay in their home or having to make significant lifestyle changes when those could have been avoided for you know just a few hundred dollars a year by buying some life insurance so i really we really emphasize making sure that insurance is a part of your plan and that you're taking you're not just taking what you're employer is giving to you, but you've given some thought to the other financial objectives that you have. On top of that life insurance piece, also people who die without an estate plan or not having an estate plan in place. And if only one spouse passes away, it's not going to be a huge issue because there's going to be somebody to take care of the kids, et cetera. But what people don't realize is if you don't have a will, the state that you live in has one for you and they have some rules and guidelines that they go through to make sure that assets get where they need to be. But it just costs a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and costs money to go to the state and to go through all of that process. So it can really simply be taken care of by creating your own will. You know, you can nom, you know, you can choose who's going to be in charge of the money, who's going to take care of your children. Funnily enough, the thing that gets missed often is who's going to take care of pets. You got dogs or cats or whatever. Who's in charge of making sure that the pets are okay? Because as I mentioned, if you die without a will, the state has one for you. Your family's going to have to go fight. Um, you know, and what most people think is, oh, well, they'll just go. You know, my kids will just end up with my family which which is true but they may not end up with the family member that you want to, or the one that you think would do the best job so it's really important especially if you have kids to have a will in place to be able to name those guardians for your children if only one spouse passes away well yeah then the surviving parent is going to get custody of the kids unless there's issues and the the court may decide hey this person is incapable of caring for the children if you don't name a guardian, the court just basically asks for a volunteer. So family will volunteer and that may cause issues, fighting, whatever it may be. Or it may just, they may, your kids may end up with the person that you maybe feel like doesn't match with what you were hoping for. And so it's really important to make sure that that will is put in place to lay out these things. And again, you can do that really simply. Um, we work with a lot of attorneys to help clients with that, but there are a lot of online resources even to be able to get that done. But it's really critical to have that piece put in place because you can really make sure you do what's in your child's best interest at that point, whereas the court may just be trying to get things done, get it finished, you know, and it may not go exactly as you have it planned. The last one I wanted to touch on today is market timing, trying to time the market with your investments and and waiting for you know this maybe correlates a little bit with not getting started early enough but i constantly am talking to people who are waiting for a good time to enter the market they're waiting for some good news or 
just waiting for the market to settle down. And those times just never come. This timing the market is is really complicated and difficult to do. And very few people, if anyone, have shown to be successful at that. So Schwab did did a study. They looked at every rolling 20-year period starting back in 1926. So 1926 to 1945, 1927 to 1940, et cetera. And they looked at five different scenarios, what they called Peter Perfect. So Peter Perfect was the person who invested at the lowest market point of every year over those 20 years. Ashley Action, who took just every on the first day of every year, she invested her money. There was Matthew Monthly, which is dollar cost averaging. He divided his money into 12 pieces and each month he put his in. Um, Rosie, who picked the worst possible day, the highest market valuation of each year to invest. And then Larry, who was always waiting for the right time, but just stayed in bonds the whole time. They looked at these rolling 20-year periods starting back in 1926. And in 66 of the 76 times, that person who just invested their money on the first day of the year came in second. Now, I guess it goes without saying, if you were smart enough to invest at the best possible day every year, then you're going to come out on top, right? I th- that that goes without saying. There, but the reality is, you're not going to be able to do that. There's no way to know what's going to be the best possible day to invest. But in 66 of those 76 periods, the person who just got their money and invested it on the first day ended up being in second place. So mo- the majority of the time not worrying about market conditions, just when you've got that money or when you're putting money in your 401k, just continuing to put it in, ended up being the best. Now, it never was the worst. So the person that was always waiting for the best time to invest, you know, most of the time ends up being the worst choice from a return perspective. Every, you know, a handful of those years, the dollar cost averaging approach ended up being better. But again, 66 out of 76 times, just investing and getting it in the market back to what I was saying earlier about just letting it grow time being your biggest asset ended up being the best choice so it's really difficult and we spend a lot of time with clients trying to help them understand that you know over time time is your biggest asset and what's happening today isn't going to have a significant value you know we do end up we do like that dollar cost averaging approach for people who are really cautious and want to take it serious. You know, that is a good sort of middle ground. So if that feels more comfortable, that's at least making sure your money does get invested, but waiting for the perfect time to invest just doesn't exist. And it's really hard to know when you're going to get in. So those are really the biggest, you know, as we're working with clients, those are the biggest issues that we see, you know, as I said, so it's budgeting, not paying yourself first and just managing your savings rate, not starting early enough, not having enough life insurance, not having an estate plan in place, and then trying to time the market. And as as we build financial plans for our clients, those are the things we're trying to help them overcome and to understand the impact of their decisions in all these areas. So if you're struggling with any of these, or if you have any questions, or you'd like to learn more, please check out our website at wittenbergwealth.com, or you can text me 801-839-7056. Please remember to subscribe to the Wealth of Insight podcast and share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Insight podcast. 
click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Stratos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Stratos Wealth Partners and Wittenberg Wealth Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wittenberg Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.